All right, on the show, Naveen Goyal from Loud Capital. How you doing, brother? Good, man. How are you? Great to be here today. You are by far, I know a lot of VCs, you are by far the most interesting because of your journey. Uh, tell us about it. You started off as a doctor, and then what made you want to become a venture capitalist? Yeah, and as I told my parents, I'm still a doctor. You still uh, are. Your son, your son is still a doctor. But um <laughs> Yeah, I tried, uh, grew up, wanted to be a doctor. It uh, wasn't easy. Um, I'm an Indian American. So, you know, a lot of uh, Indian folks become doctors or engineers right. uh, or lawyers. Uh, and I just, you know, it was always in the in the discussions of who's going to be the doctor in the family. Right. Um, so I respected doctors, loved what they did. And I also thought it was really challenging to become one. Mm-hmm. And so worked hard, um, just made it through on each level and became an anesthesiologist and lived in Chicago for four years, trained there at University of Chicago and practiced for 13 years in private practice. And then what, did you always have the business bug? Like what, what made you, of all the businesses to get into venture capitaling and investing, like how did that happen? Yeah, it was a, I would call it an evolution. So the plan was never to leave medicine or even go outside the purview of medicine. Um, never had any, I would say business acumen or business interests until yeah. I started uh, investing a bit um, mm-hmm. after I caught up on some finances early in resident early in my private practice. Yeah. Um, and, and I will say during training, uh, when we were poor residents uh, in a hospital working hundreds some hours and getting minimum wage, which is the reality for training as a physician, um, a lot of my friends who were working and doing their consulting, doing their careers kind of um, we're investing in real estate and all these other opportunities. And I was getting so much FOMO. I was like, man, this sucks, but all right, let's focus. Yeah. So when five years later, I started making uh, a real paycheck, I started a little bit of real estate, um, but I got bored really quickly. Yeah. And and that's my personality. It's no disrespect towards an industry or people who do that. Um, so I started angel investing. That was a little more exciting. Um, I really liked when I met a few entrepreneurs, how passionate they were about a purpose or a problem they wanted to solve. And many of them left very comfortable lives to pursue an uncomfortable pathway. And that was very inspiring for me. And so from a, hey, I'm very deep as a specialist, as an anesthesiologist, very fulfilled and grateful for the position and what I was doing. This was very different. This was like, wow, there's no structure there. You don't even know where your income's going to come from, but you're really focused on something. And and during that time, I was reading the Wall Street Journal every day in the business section. I saw myself veering towards business, veering towards curiosity of learning more. Um, and, and, you know, this is all happening at the same time. It's not like our lives or timelines were, okay, right. and then the next day I felt this, right? Yeah. So I like to remind people of that during that time as well. I'm a couple of years into practicing. And so all your life, you're studying school, 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 then college then medical school, then residency. So I was constantly like many physicians studying for the next test, learning a ton of information. And now when you're, you know, you take your boards, you're board certified, you're practicing and your learning curve goes a little more flat. And I started getting bored and I was like, okay, time is nice. I got getting some income. That's nice. I was bored. So I wanted to learn and I wanted to continue to learn. So I started reading books at the age of 31. I started reading books. I listened to my parents. Um, And, you know, so all this was happening. Then I started investing in some, some kind of as an angel investor into some early stage companies. And I was just hooked. 
I mean, that's what really got me. And I was like, okay, I have the potential to make money. I'm reading about all these companies going public in these large rounds. Um, I do remember reading the Wall Street Journal and thinking, who are these circle of investors who got in early for yeah. these large companies, right? Like we all get curious, but I remember telling myself this. I said, I'm going to be in that circle. I'm like, I want to know. And I want the right to say, no, I don't want that investment, but I want to be in that circle. Yeah. So I remember, <laughs> um, you know, thinking that. And now that I know myself a little bit more, it's that, you know, once you plant that seed, it's like, okay, I'm going to grow this baby. So how did, how does one become a venture capitalist? You were doing angel investing and then you made the leap. How, how do you do it? Yeah. So actually I think one important piece here is it wasn't a leap. It was a continuous evolution. And I'll tell you, uh, as I was angel investing, I had the opportunity to start a company, uh, which I do think by the way, is a great step to go towards venture capital. Mm -hmm. um, it, it builds a lot of empathy and experience that I think is needed in the, in the industry. Uh, but I co-founded it with two other anesthesiologists and it's a healthcare services company that still exists and is in four States. Um, we take care of a lot of kids who have long waits uh, that are on Medicaid uh, who need dental procedures and they basically have a year to two year wait uh, at pretty much medical systems, hospital surgery centers across this country. And so what we do is we go to the dental offices where they're diagnosed in their communities. It could be hours away from a medical system or a hospital. Mm -hmm. And we enable their procedures by providing general anesthesia in the office. So we put young kids to sleep uh, with, uh, with the whole care team. We get it done. Insurance companies save money. The hospitals don't have to worry about kind of doing these uh, procedures that can be done in an office. Yeah. And so we help kind of the backlog there and then we take care of these kids. So that's what started myself into entrepreneurship, um, which is, hey, these entrepreneurs that I'm investing in, there's something inspirational about yeah. them. And then I had the opportunity to become one, which has been a grind, I haven't stopped. So it's very sticky and very, you know, it reminds me of golf, right? You just hit a few good ones and you're like, I'm in. But the 90% of the ones that, you suck at, um, you can kind of ignore. Um, so, so I became an entrepreneur and I'm still one. Um, and you know, there was a point where I was investing money. I was investing time into this company. And then a lot of colleagues and friends around me said, Naveen, you're no longer talking about medicine. You're talking about stuff I've never heard of. Yeah. You're reading a lot of this stuff. You're putting your own money towards it. I am interested in learning more. And so eventually some folks were like, I want to invest in some of these things too. And I said, oh, there you go. Here's a few that I invested in, or here's some great companies, but I'm out of money. So yeah. eventually the, the big switch was, well, Naveen, you're interested in this stuff. You're spending time in this stuff. Will you do something with my money? I do want to invest in this. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I, along with a, a friend who was working with me in the business world and angel investing alongside me. Uh, and be, has become a close friend, his name's Darshan, uh, we decided to open up an angel fund. So, hey, I don't need to be an angel investor that goes into one company. I don't know what to do, how to make it happen, how to help. We said, we will get investors into a fund. With that fund, we will in, continue to invest in these companies that are early stage and um, what, what would be considered kind of an angel round, a seed round. So that was the, that was the slow entrance into becoming um, an investor and managing a small fund. So you go, you manage, you, you, you raise money, friends and family. And then when do you start 
you know, jumping in and say, like, I'm going to write big, bigger checks, right? Uh, institutional money, that kind of stuff. Like, when does that pivot happen? That happens a while down the road in, in our story. So we're yeah. in the Midwest. We don't have a ton of experience in the formal investment world. And so that takes time uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective. So there's yeah. building trust. There's growing these companies and showing a track record. So I can tell you, our first angel fund was in 2015 mm -hmm. and I was still working full-time medicine. I was still working on the startup um, and still reading and learning a ton. My co-founder was actually running this full-time. So he had just exited his company and he's like, mm -hmm. Naveen, let's do this. Let's make this real. Yeah. So that's, that's slow to, that the decision we made together was all right, Naveen, let's build this to be big. Let's put our energy into it. And eventually, like a year or two later, I started seeing myself saying, I think I can do this. I think there's a lot of impact that we can do, not just with money, but with in investing in companies that we care about, that we feel like are impacting people in a positive manner. Um, and, you know, the first venture I started uh, that still takes care of kids, that shaped my lens of entrepreneurship. So I do not only believe, but I am acting on a company that is for profit, has raised venture money and is taking care of kids who have long waits. And you're, so you're solving a, a problem, which is what I, entrepreneurs do, right? You know, you had these long waits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify though, I think there's a lot of problems out there, but problems that are so um, important to me, I would say. Sure. And I would say, you know, be, being a parent and, and having kids and realizing that my kids wouldn't have to wait that long mm -hmm. because they're not on Medicaid and that doesn't make it right. And so things that are so socially impactful, but for profit, that's where I, that's kind of where we live. So do, do uh, is the fund, uh, are you guys focused on healthcare or w where do you sort of invest in? What, what is the great, great question. And uh, yeah, I'll also clarify uh, the bigger checks, original question you had yeah, too. Of course. Uh, um, the overall, we were industry agnostic. So we have invested in tech, education, logistics, energy, healthcare, healthcare has been heavy. And as we are evolving and seeing so many gaps in healthcare, as we know, healthcare touches everything. Um, we are going towards a larger focus on healthcare. Um, but you know, we have over seventy portfolio companies, and um, there's uh, plenty of them that are not healthcare. Yeah. Um, and, and so we started out with small checks, very early stage, and a lot of our investors were individuals. Yeah. As we started progressing and we started to open up more funds. So the first angel fund, then we went to a, uh, a venture fund, uh, which I, I call it a venture fund because, you know, it's, it's a spectrum. So when we say angel fund or seed fund, it's just a spectrum of going a little bit later stage, um, going, uh, having a little bit more of a bigger check size. But I also think when you are doing venture capital, there's also this strategy and philosophy, just like any other company. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, this is what we're about. This is our investment thesis. This is what's important to us. And you need to ensure there's a whole line of investor relations, uh, investor communication, yeah, yeah. and then optimization of portfolio companies. So over time, we started getting some family offices, we get, uh, got some institutions. And now, you know, it's been several years, we have a good track record, we have exits, we're raising uh, bigger funds, we're writing bigger checks. And we're starting to lead rounds. Actually, we started a couple of years ago to lead rounds. So, I mean, look, I'm, I'm so happy that you're investing in healthcare because it's it's just so prime for an overused word, disruption, right? You, It's a multi-trillion yeah. dollar industry. There's so much bloating 
fat and fraud in the system. And, and then just even the delivery of care in certain segments is, is, you know, God awful. Um, yep. Where do you see some of the big opportunities in in healthcare? You know, early stage VC. Where are you seeing the money go? Um, I'm seeing actually a lot more money go towards the world I've been in, which is uh, treating treating folks who are not getting the access to care. Really, um, we we talk about tweaking the system and being better, more efficient, um, less cost prohibitive, which is all true. But what I'll tell you, I learned leaving the hospital system to work as an entrepreneur. I didn't realize how many people were not getting into the system I was working in. Right. I, right. I, I was working at a thousand bed hospital, uh, 30 some ORs. They were always full. It was always busy. And I was like, wow, we're, we're cranking out here. Yeah. I did not realize how many people didn't have access or even getting diagnosed to go to that next step. So access to care. And this is where I've learned a lot from uh, Offer Health in our first venture of, of seeing patients that are half hour away from you. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, right. that do not have access. And if there is something wrong with their child or with them, they have a weight and they might not even see a physician for a long time. For me, that just doesn't make sense. It does. It, it shouldn't, it shouldn't occur to, you know, today, but it does. Yeah. And so knowing that huge gap and knowing what, you know, Medicaid has limited dollars right now. Right. And so there's an investment in innovation towards treating the Medicaid population and other populations and communities who don't have that access. That's where I'll tell you, we are focused. But I, if I said this five years ago, it might not have been a as commonly known or yeah. uh, maybe as much as of a buzzword, but there's a lot more entrepreneurs focused on the Medicaid population. So there's a lot more investment time. And, and then let's think about it this way for a second. When we talk about optimizing people to be the healthiest they can. So you take a child, you give them education, nutrition, nourishment, safe environment, all this stuff. And that child becomes healthy and fulfilled and happy. Yeah. Okay. There's for that child, there's so many kids who don't have that. And so right. now we're still building or investing in a society that's you have so many sick, unfulfilled, unhappy, you know, so that's that's what I'm kind of focused on. Like we need to like start educating, giving uh, safe environments, nutrition to a lot more people. And by doing that, we are investing in healthcare. And and, and, and I, the, that's what's the, kind of yeah. So so the d delivery of care, specifically in these remote places that don't have access to a you know a hospital on your side. I mean, it strikes me as like from telemedicine to even the AI stuff. Like you know, you do your blood work, you pump your blood work into the information into some kind of AI model, it can at least give you sort of some framework, right? I mean, and that's just first base of, of first inning of a nine inning game, right? I mean, it just seems this stuff is moving rapidly. It's it's moving rapidly, but I, I will caution that, that aspect because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there building these platforms so they can get patients on there and have more touch yeah. points. Telemedicine is an example where, uh, it does allow for physicians, other healthcare workers, and whoever needs to communicate with folks in their home potentially, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, that's right. great. But there's a lot more after that. So let's say we're talking yeah. to someone two hours away in an area, if they have the uh, internet, electricity, okay, right. we're connecting with them. They have a device to, to see us on or talk to us on. Once we communicate with them, okay, we're going to need labs. We're going to need this. We're going to need yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Really, then what? So right. the access to care... I mean, you diagnosed or you touched, you did a touch point, but then what? 
Right. So yes, there are, uh, the, the second thing I was going to say is alternative models of care. And going back to my first venture, creating a logistical system to bring specialists to a community and do general anesthesia in an office is not easy. And it's taken so many different people, capital, creative ideas. Uh, you know, we've talked to the board of pharmacy, which is it's very gray on transporting medications. So we've had a talk, every state has different legalities. It's been a lot of work, but what it has done is it's opened up the gates to, yes, we can do different, the, these things differently. Like an anesthesiologist working out in a dental office two hours away is a kind of a radical statement five years ago, 10 years ago. And right. people, some of my colleagues were like, wait, what are you doing? And you know what's happening now? They're like, hey, are you hiring in this? I just saw you went to the state because it's no longer this like, wait, what is that? So we're opening the eyes and, and creativity of not only physicians, but other healthcare workers, uh, insurance companies to say, we need to do better. Everything doesn't happen in the hospital. And I yeah. think post COVID, people don't want to even touch the hospital or go near. So how can we do things closer to the community? Um, so I, I, I focus on that aspect. And the good news is the payers, the population, the physicians, everyone is acknowledging that. And that, yeah. that was not happening when we started our venture. We were uphill every conversation. What, what did you take from being a doctor that you applied to venture capital that, that you know, maybe other VCs uh, wouldn't because of the training? Um, so we, we what's an, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of different perspectives I have, but I will say it's one of the unique fields where you always focus on the person. And mm -hmm. so the, the patient comes through the door uh, let's say of an emergency room, it's immediately, okay, let's assess, let's go straight to the patient and see, and all these other things come afterwards. And, and maybe to a fault when we talk about billing, insurance, other information, other kind of things. And, and, you know, but, but when you, when you train in that aspect and then you go out into the business world, it's, it's sometimes very different. It's let's get all these things in order uh, first before we focus on the person. And many times we're solving problems that are in a building that has nothing to do with our customer. We're getting very far away from our customer. And sometimes it's an academic exercise that goes away from the person. So from a high level, one thing is bringing people back to the focus in the middle, I think is an important thing. Um, I've, you know, we're one of the few, maybe the only profession that's taken um, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. Right. And maybe that sounds like out of context, but I say that a lot in our meetings when we talk about, and, and, and you know, it's being brought up right now with chief ethical officers and, um, you know, when it comes to data and technology, first, do no harm, that matters. So I will say there's an ethical compass that's always present, a focus on people. And then when we're talking about healthcare, talk about experience and empathy, when, you know, someone's coming to me and saying, hey, we're building this and we think this is going to be great. And you're like, have you talked to anybody like this? This doesn't make sense. I don't think right. you're going to be successful, not because it's not a good idea, but you need to integrate it with the stakeholders in the healthcare system right now. So, so those are a few points. So, so you are a VC in the Midwest, right? Yeah. How is it different? You're not in Silicon Valley. You're not one of the big guys. Like how do you sort of source deals? Why should they go with you? Like, it seems to be a very competitive market. What's your story? What's your pitch? And, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, uh, being a, in venture capital in the Midwest uh, has been challenging because there's, number one, there's an educational component. There's not a lot of 
people who knew about it a decade ago. Mm -hmm. um, still talk to people who don't know what it is. It's fine. Um, there's an educational component. Then there's a concert, more conservative environment. So they're like venture capital. That sounds risky. And that maybe is. And, yeah. you know, so there's less people who may be participating. Um, so that was kind of more uphill, I would say. But also that uphill is also an opportunity where there's uh, an opportunity to build a brand out here. And I can tell you from five years ago when we started, uh, there's a few folks who said, oh, there's a, a couple doctors starting that and they're not, you know, anybody or whatever, even though it was one physician and multiple other business folks, yeah. finance folks. Um, some of those folks have become investors and they want to kind of join the team and, and build because we're doing it in a very organic way to start out. So, so loud, the name came from being loud and active. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of angel investors. There's a lot of investment firms who invest and don't have either a lot of entrepreneurial experience or don't have uh, a team with diverse experiences to really help past a certain level with a company. And so we, from the early, you know, early years basically said, we want to be very involved and help mitigate risk along the way because entrepreneurship is so hard. And that's why I said, I think if anyone wants to go into VC, I always tell people, if you can start a business or be involved in some kind of early stage business, yeah. to know how stressful, how many headaches there are, raising capital or not raising capital, just managing a lot of things while growing it, it's tough. And to build that empathy, to have a little bit of understanding as an investor, mm -hmm. I think it's really important to build that trust and to really be helpful. So we, 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 oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so, so we invest with the intention of making this a long-term relationship, not just at board meetings, but to try to help problem solve alongside them, which is better for your investor. It's more fun for us. We're all entrepreneurs. Everyone on my team has been either started their own company, exited a company, or been a part of a growth company. And, and what that does is it's fun. It's not like, oh man, we got to do this. We got to, yeah. we got to deal with this. What, um, what, and what, and so people cool? are buying into that. People are buying into that. And, and that's how we're attracting really great people. Just yeah. So pe people's important to you. It's on your website and stuff. Like what's more important, the idea or just the key executives that are going to be running the business? The idea is an idea, man. It, it yeah, starts I agree out. Oh my gosh. And, 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 and I say, oh my gosh, because there's so many people who focus just on the idea and there's companies we've invested in where the company looks so different today. It's not the original um, idea mm -hmm. um, because they had to pivot, they had to learn. Yeah. And so the people involved and the team that is there and the team that will continue to involve, uh, evolve, those are the folks that matter. Mm -hmm. and, and that's another reason why you need to be or you should be involved along the way because you give your capital investment and many times people don't really keep in touch or help as much or don't feel like they can help as much. I will, I will say that's usually not true. There's so many great investment firms who have amazing networks and can open so many doors and they can help their investments, but it's just not happening enough. Yeah. Um, the VC world is it, it's been up and down the last few years, right? You had sort of like a boom coming out of 2021 and valuations went crazy and people raising all kinds of numbers and then down rounds and, and, and the last couple of years. How do you see the current market? And then how do you see going into 2024? Yeah. So yeah, it's been a crazy year, uh, a couple of years, actually crazy couple of years. You had your pandemic and then you had this past year, which has been crazy for the VC right. market. Um, there's a lot of dry powder out there. So the money is sitting there. There's yeah. people, there's a psychology to it that people are hesitant. So mm -hmm. 
it's, it's has stress tested many companies and many funds. Um, and I will say the companies that have made it this far, uh, especially if you've existed at the last few years, yeah, you are tough. You're a raisin, you know, right. you don't need that water yeah. right now, but you're going to be all right. Um, although there's plenty of companies that have gone out and there's plenty of companies that have started, you know, this year. Um, and so what I think, I think 2024 is going to be a little bit better because psychology can only last so long. Yeah. You still have dry powder that's accumulating. Um, I but discipline I, too, but t- companies got discipline about their burn rate, about the employees, wages, uh, it tech. I mean, I saw it tech talent wages went out of control. They've come back down more to earth expectations, more to earth. Um, I think just that discipline and, and they'll run better businesses. And then the week got knocked out. So it's, I, it's good for the market. I, I was going to add that too. I, I think that's a really important point. You know, was there a reset needed in the business entrepreneurial world, venture world? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think it was harsh. I think people got slapped in the face really hard um, the next day. And so I, I feel bad for a lot of folks, but there was a discipline that was needed. And I think we are all reminded from an investor standpoint, from an entrepreneur standpoint. Um, so I can tell you today, again, if the business exists, they're tough, they're smarter, they're more disciplined, and they understand the value of their company probably a little bit is, is a lot lower than before, but for a good reason. We, you know, th- there was a crazy environment there where people are investing in truly ideas with no revenue, with really no structure numbers and 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 crazy numbers and it was just a fomo game and and that'll still happen there things bubble up and but right now where we are there's a lot of smart business going on and we as a venture firm talk about it all the time that uh, it's made us smarter as well this episode is brought to you by buena vista creative miami's premier digital marketing agency visit buenavistacreative.com for more info on how buena vista can help your business increase revenue and create the brand and digital presence it deserves video and podcast production, web and app development, search engine and social media marketing, logo creation, outdoor, print, swag, and more. Visit BuenaVistaCreative.com to learn more. So when you're a doctor, in theory, the client is the the, the patient, right? In the yeah. VC world, who's your client? Is it the investors or the, the different companies? Like, what does that look like, the client relationship? That's a, that's a great question. So our immediate client is going to be the investor. Okay. okay. And, and I'm speaking like it's one, two, three, but obviously there's no, yeah, of course. Holders. The investor is very important. They're giving capital and mm-hmm. they're investing in us to be very responsible on how we grow their money and then uh, consistent with our investment thesis. And so an institution comes and say, Hey, we're very interested in health equity and access to care. Uh, we like a track record. We like what you're about blah, 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 like your system and mitigation of risk and your reporting, all this stuff we've built out, they invest. So it's up to us to be a good steward of their capital and aligned with the values and how they invested, good communication. And then on the other side, um, just as important is our portfolio companies. And again, investors are investing in us to invest in portfolio companies and make sure we are optimizing them, mitigating risk and again, aligning the values and thesis of the fund with the portfolio company to make sure that's aligned. So, so I, I can yeah. see you being very good at communication because you're super active on social media, specifically <laughs> LinkedIn. You're actually really good. That's how we reconnected. Walk Thank me you. through your strategy. When did this start? 
you know, the answer is why do you do it? Um, walk me through just sort of what, what, what's your roadmap and your platform for social media, but specifically LinkedIn, because you're re very strong on LinkedIn. Yeah, number one, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I spend uh, a good amount of time every day <laughs> posting and it's it's important for me. So yeah. number one, selfishly, it's processing. So these things we're talking about right now, yeah, um, it's important to me what I've what I've learned up to date and and how I want to live my life as a as a parent, as a husband, as an yeah. entrepreneur, yeah. as a leader. Um, and so I process a lot of things. And so if I had a tough meeting yesterday, for example, um, and I was like, gosh, and I was frustrated. I'll process that and I will write that down many times, whether it's not necessarily a journal nowadays, it's just on a little app or a note. Yeah. A lot of those become posts. And so I like to share learnings, the things that I process. I'm almost talking to my less experienced self or people who are way smarter, way more experienced, but maybe haven't heard this perspective. Um, I've been very comfortable being vulnerable on things I'm like really weak at because I'm very comfortable in my life now where, uh, you know, I think as we grow up, we're expected to be this yep. thing and learn these skills. And I think as adults or whatever we are, maybe older people, older adults, um, you realize like you're not expected to be everything. What you are is to be whatever you are authentically and compliment yourself with your weaknesses. And I, you know, I think maybe it's being a father. I have two teenage girls, 15 and 13, and I see the amount of stress and expectations on them. And those probably it's different now, but I, you know, just looking at kids, it's just, you know, man, they have these thoughts that are not true that sure. I thought. So I'm very passionate about bringing up stuff that I've learned even to a kid level. Like I tell my teenagers, the stuff I talk about on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so I'm passionate about processing and writing and sharing, um, what I'm trying to do. Um, I think, you know, venture capital is this intriguing, exciting, aspirational thing for a lot of people. The young kids really like it. Um, college, you, you name it. There's a lot of people who want to get in venture. That's actually a very common reach out. Hey, Naveen, do you have any internships? Can I join? Yeah. How do I get in venture? You know, which is cool. So one of the things I want to do is start opening up the walls of venture um, because it's very secretive. There's not a ton of people who are out there talking about it. Now, there's a lot of people talking about it who don't do venture, which is interesting, right? Like your thought leaders who yeah. don't necessarily like, but they're really good at communicating. So I'm trying to be, you know, I'm doing a lot of real stuff and learning a lot. And I'm just trying to bring that to a lot of people. And there's so many people who um, reach out and say, thanks, I'm learning a lot about venture and I'm very interested yeah. or, you know, so I don't know if that's a straightforward no, answer, but there's just so listen, many emotions. You, you put yourself out there. It's very authentic. Um, you, 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 you definitely put the time and the effort in, into it. And, uh, and you even wrote a book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I wrote a book, um, called physician underdog. It's behind me. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, actually a, a quick story. The, the reason I wrote a book is because three, four years ago, I got, um, an email from a very large publisher, uh, mm -hmm. and that published all our medical school books, et cetera. And I was like, Oh man. And they're like, we see you're in the kind of innovative VC world. We haven't had an anesthesiologist, you know, do what you're doing. Would you write a chapter for our book in this kind of innovation and anesthesia yeah. type subject? I said, oh, man, that's quite an opportunity. Um, I don't know how to write. And 
eventually I, I knew I had enough to write about. Uh, I started processing and writing a bunch of stuff down. And they basically said, you can write whatever you want. You, you're an anesthesiologist, talk about your evolution. Some of the mm -hmm. things we're talking about today. So I ended up writing a bunch of stuff. Um, one of my colleagues at Loud said, Naveen, you should just get some help as an editor if you're kind of stressed out about how yeah. it's coming out. I'm like, yes, let's do that. So I got an editor. She was amazing. And, and I think we worked really well as a team. And I'm a team person. So I, anything I've done, I do in teams. So yeah. again, I have a lot of faults and a lot of weaknesses. So I've learned to compliment myself. And so the thoughts, the passion, the story is all there. And the editor took it and, and actually she was so good. She basically would say, Nivian, do you want to expand a little bit on this? Because to me, I don't really know what, you know, I don't hear enough about it. So I started writing. I wrote the chapter. That's a separate story. I'll tell you about the chapter. But I couldn't stop writing. I Thank ended you. up getting into this, this, this exercise where in the mornings, I'm a, I'm a kind of a nerd in the morning. I work out, do yoga and read and all that. And I started writing. So every morning I would write. It became this really relaxing, processing, intellectual exercise. And I just started writing and writing. And I said, maybe I can write a book. And someone told me, hey, don't just pressure yourself on that. Just start writing, continue writing. So I did that. I wrote a bunch of stuff, stories on starting loud and start, you know, why I got yeah. into BC and why I became a physician. And eventually it became a book. Uh, it was a two year process, a year and a half of writing, editing. Um, I self-published, it's called Physician Underdog. And the, the premise is, Basically, you know, I wanted to be a doctor growing up. It wasn't easy. I worked really hard. And then when I was a physician, I felt like I was in an underdog because I was not happy or fulfilled because of these other things started happening and sure. nothing was wrong with the anesthesia or the group I was in or the, the privilege to take care of people. But why was I feeling unfulfilled? Like, that's ridiculous. I worked so hard. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you could call it professional underdog too. You can call it whatever you want, but there's so many things where we have expectations. We get there, we do everything right. Or even if we somehow do everything wrong, either way, we're always in this position where we're like, should this be more? Should this feel mm -hmm. more? Sure. And it's this, it's this thing of, okay, are we going to stay like that? Or are we going to be in this position where it bothers you enough, where you dig inside and you pull out the best of yourself, things that you haven't, didn't even know that you had untapped potential and you move forward. And so when I think about where I am today, Mm -hmm. it's crazy to think about because 20 years ago, I, I would have never, you thought you were going down the doctor route and totally. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, in the end, when I talk to people, when I post on LinkedIn, when I wrote this book, I think I really enjoy empowering other people because I'm an empowered person. And I was mm -hmm. a, like many kids didn't have a lot of confidence growing up, plenty of things where in retrospect, if I had more confidence, I would have done this or done that. So I like to empower people. Um, and I like, maybe that's another reason I like to talk about my vulnerabilities and weaknesses, because I want people to know that I'm just a person who keeps waking up and being stubborn and keeps, you know, moving forward. That's it. You know, I, there's plenty of weaknesses here and you should feel like you belong. You should feel like you should find your tribe and find your place and, yeah. and do what you want. So the book is empowering for physicians, but also a lot of business folks and others on, um, you know, to keep moving forward. And I said, you know, use an underdog mentality to, to keep moving forward because uh, we're all underdogs at some point. We all have situations of adversity. We all need to dig inside deep. And sometimes mm -hmm. we need a lot of help getting there, but our best stuff has not shown up yet. And sometimes those adverse scenarios that we get stressed out about or that, that are even traumatic to us, sometimes have brought out our best. And that's what yeah. I think, 
you know, we can all relate. Absolutely. So doctor, VC, author, but there's a, something that I found out about you via your LinkedIn post, which is the, <laughs> lead, the lead singer of a, of a new wave band. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that was, that was a short, that was a short, a short career year. Uh, not even a career that was during medical school and during medical school and there's so many signs where i just wanted to do a lot of different you want to do something different my first year in medical school you dressed all in black like the cure you painted your face white i mean what what did you do what was the look wait did you see a picture by chance no i didn't see a picture but i'm imagining you (laughs) oh my god so i was in all picture i would love to see it oh i'll have to show you i was in all black and i dyed my hair blonde what yeah, and, and to okay, get this black to hair, well, that was thicker before. Huh. To get this black hair blonde, you have you have to do it for a yeah. while. And yeah. so I went to a salon, and it burned my scalp. I had to be there for two hours, and it was burning. And she's the and lady. Your parents told me, wanted to kill you, right? Like we oh, we spent all dude, this money was, and this kid, and you know, and then oh, he, it was it's what he wants to yeah, do. Yeah, it, it was that, that's a whole nother animal. <laughs> but it it she she told me she's like if you. Um, want to get out early and it's burning your head, it's going to be orange. I go, no, it's not going to be orange. So I showed up the first oh my time on stage, blonde hair, completely blonde, Ugh. all black. And then I just started singing. It was like eight songs. I was opening for another band, but it was during medical school. Uh, one of my buddies who's also distracted during class was a, yeah. he was a real musician, played yeah. guitar, uh, piano, etc. And we were starting to, to plan our eighties, party, which was, again, this is ridiculous. This is a medical school and we're talking yeah. about, we're going to plan an eighties theme party. So I started singing, uh, Eddie Murphy's my girl wants to party all the time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Love that song. And he, and he and they goes, have a remake, right? Isn't it like a house music remake? It's super. Yes. Popular? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, he said, Naveen, your, your voice is pretty decent. Like, you know, and we just started messing around. He goes, Hey, after class, let's go to my place. And hang. he was a, a good friend of mine. And he's like, let's just mess around with all my, he had all the equipment. Yeah. So we started doing it. And then we found out some of my other classmates were musicians, bass and you mm-hmm. know, drummer, et cetera. So we got ourselves together. It was a good stress relief from med school. Sure. And then like, should we just do this for our class <laughs> and do this? You know, so it kind of turned into something. Eventually we did shows every three, four months. Um, we would just, you know, charge some money at the door that we would donate it to yeah. American Cancer Society or a, a few organizations that uh, some of us were like, yeah. you know, close to. It was really fun and and it never went into anything. And in retrospect, uh, I, it was more courageous than yeah, skill, skill you, you know, like a little bit. Yeah, it, it was more, you know, exactly. But I will tell you, when we talk about some of the best moments of your life, Probably some of the best moments of my life were being on that stage. It, it was just mode and cure and, and singing the patch mode cure a new order. Um, it, it was just so much fun. And I think I needed that as a stress relief. And so did everyone else in the band. And so did the other classmates who came into the concert and were cheering on and having fun. Um, but the first time I did that um, on, you know, came on stage, blonde hair, everything, there were about 200 people there because a lot of my college buddies and sure. community, the Indian community, they all heard about it and people came. I was at in Indian Cincinnati, new, they came uh, and they all, and I remember them. I was on stage, people yeah. were walking in and be like, like it was that? just like, it was, it was, it was quite a moment. Very cool. Honey was right. there. 
I know you're a busy guy being, uh, you know, VC doctor and, and obviously a, a musician. A couple rapid fire questions and I'll let you go. All right. I get to give you the DeLorean. You're in the flux capacitor. You can go back and time to your first day as a VC. What would you change? I would try to get more support from the West and East Coast of how much experience and money was there and to, you know, mold those together that would have accelerated my efforts. Yeah, that ecosystem they have there is is just so, so tough to compete with, correct? It's like it's tough to compete. The mind, the mind share, right? Yeah, just... yeah, yeah. And, and I actually have three people now from the West Coast that are on my team. It mm -hmm. maybe took a while to, to meet them and build trust with them. And but that has accelerated a lot of things. So I would I would look outside of my backyard to accelerate the company. Uh, other than your own book, what's the book you've gifted the most? Never split the difference. You know, which... I've never read it. And I, a lot of people have told, I mean, I, I know about it. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up now that you said that. The first book I've read twice. Cause really? most books I read, Why? I what, what, what's, this. what, what's the two or three nuggets that just changed you that you, you had to read a book twice. So I'm all about communication. I'm yeah, all I about connecting that. with people. <laughs> And that is all about it. That's all about changing your tone, your words, your energy to go deeper. It's it's also in business to influence. It's also in parenting to influence. We all want to influence people. We all want to sure. sell. We all want to connect. That book takes a very you know high tension kind of terrorist organizations that you're negotiating with and applying it to multiple facets of life. I just nerded out on that. It's well written great examples. And there's so many tidbits where you have to pause and absorb. Mm -hmm. And I started writing notes. So that's why I read it over and over. And I, I recommend it to everyone. And I, 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 I messaged the author on LinkedIn. No way. The power, and? The, so by the way, my best, the, the books I read where I love, yeah. I, I, I have been messaging them on LinkedIn and guess what? I, I 90, do it too. Awesome. I do it too. Nine, 90% respond, say, thank you, say a couple of personal words. Yep. Um, and, and this was no different. So really cool. Very, very cool. All right. Um, I, I put you back in the DeLorean and you can go back and you could be the lead singer of any new wave band. What band did you pick? Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode, which I, I had a feeling you were going to say Depeche Mode. You know what? Well, you know, it's on top of mine because I just saw them again. They came to Cleveland. And he was amazing. No way. He, How old are they, dude? 30 some, 30 some years later. It was probably 60s. What happened to that genre of music, right? Because like you have like rock and like hairspray bands, like let's say, you know, whatever, Poison, Guns N' Roses, they get knocked out because grunge comes. And then gangster rap gets knocked out because Kanye. Like what that just faded or did it become like a house music? You know what's funny? I think it wasn't as global as i thought it wasn't it was. as mainstream but the fans that love it i love it um exactly. really really love it i think it was more niche and you know people were so passionate and deep about it but yeah it wasn't mainstream and I think and it's it, usually you know, fans that are going through something in their life right if you're listening to too much of the cure something's yeah. going on with you you were in medical school you didn't know what you wanted uh, to do it's 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 a mixture of uh yeah it, it's an emotional it's an emotional it's kind of genre you know um but i i don't know growing up and being a chicago wannabe for for so long and eventually moved there. I, I, you know, new wave in Chicago, would just go hand in hand. So. All right. One last question. I know you through your cousin, Sonny, 
Who's a better dancer, you or Sonny? Oh, me. And and better, you know, you can ask who's a better and I'll answer me in most scenarios. All right. We're going to bring that up next time. I talk. <laughs> All right. Where, where can people find out about the book? Where can they buy the book? Yeah, Physician Underdogs on Amazon and other platforms. Amazon has all the, you know, I, I narrated the audiobook as well. Um, and if you go on my LinkedIn, I have a link tree on there. It has all my, from newsletter that I write monthly to my book to daily postings, et cetera. All right. I'm glad that you got an audiobook so your cousin will actually listen to it because he doesn't read books. <laughs> Second, uh, anybody listening to the show, buy the book, but more just as important, uh, follow him on LinkedIn. I mean, the amount of content that he pushes out, good content, it's authentic whether it's VC, going through life, being a parent, whatever. Uh, it's amazing. Naveen, my friend, thank you so much. I'll see you in Miami soon. Uh, stay warm up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, brother. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate what you do.